So it's great to be here with you. Um, we've been walking through a series called Heroes, and uh, we wrapped it up last week, and we're in the summer now, and some of you are wondering, what in the world is this thing doing here, and why is it on our communion table? And so, <laughs> and so don't worry. Um, this is part of a, a new series that we're launching this week, and it's on this table because Leroy built this table, and so I trust that this table will not collapse. <laughs> it's the only table in the building that I trust would not collapse uh, when I put this big heavy thing on there. So if it collapses during the service, it's my fault. But, <laughs> but we're doing a, a brand new series that's going to launch for the next several weeks, and we're calling it Will It Float? Will It Float? Okay. And so here's the theme. There are many, many, many things that as Christians or as believers, come on now, we say, but we're not always sure if the things we say are actually able to hold water. We've heard them, and so we repeat them, or maybe someone said them to us, but we're not always sure that those things will hold water. When I was fresh into Bible college, I was 17 years old, and I had moved away and gone to Bible college. Now, I have a younger brother. He's 10 years younger than me, so he was seven when I moved away, but I was essentially an only child my whole, my whole life. And I was the only child till I was 10, and then there was a baby, and I was like, I gotta get out of here. So I was, a, I was an only child, basically. I never had a roommate, come on now. I never had anybody in my space until I got to Bible college, and I was put in a dorm room with five other dudes. Six of us in one room, three bunk beds in one general space. Now, I have never shared space. I've never shared my toys. Come on now. I've never shared my stuff in any capacity until I get to this room. And I got to tell you, there's six of us in the room and five of us are slobs. All right. I'm not going to say if I was in that group or not. I'll just let you use your imagination. And so our room is a hot mess. And now I've only ever been responsible for myself. I've never had brothers, sisters, anything like that, right, that were in, in my picture. And so let me tell you one thing that was absolutely true. I'm not picking up someone else's mess. Come on. <laughs> That's not my job. And so at our Bible college, they did dorm checks once a week, and they would walk through and make sure that the room was clean. And there was a list of cleaning things that you had to do, like the shower and the toilet and those kind of things that you have to do if you live in a room and humans are going to actually occupy that space. And so this list gets posted, and everyone gets an assignment. Come on now. And someone did their assignment in the, in the room, but none of the others, I'm going to say none, but most of the others, maybe one of the other assignments got done. So there's this big meeting that happens because most of the dorms just looks like 17-year-old boys live in them and 18-year-old boys live in them. And there's a hot mess. And so we have this big mandatory meeting that gets called after the dorm checks happen because the entire building smells like a foot. And so, I mean, you can just smell, come on, campus, it just smells like a foot. And so, so we have this late night meeting that gets called and it's mandatory. It's at like 10 o'clock at night. And all of the men, come on now, from the dorms come down for this meeting. And this guy, he's actually the president of the Bible college at the time, an older gentleman, very nice guy. He stands up in front of us and he's looking at us and he goes, don't you know that cleansliness is like close to godliness? And I was like, wow. I don't know that. <laughs> I've never heard that before. I didn't grow up in church. I'm like, I've been reading my Bible, but not for that long. I'm like, that's, 
that's amazing. That is very helpful because now I can look at these slobs and be like, clean your stuff up if you are a follower of Christ, right? I was all excited about it. We get back in the room. The room's a hot mess. I'm looking at one of the roommates of my roommates. He's a pastor's kid. And I'm like, you slob, you are so far from Christ-likeness. Look at this mess. He goes, don't you know that cleanliness is close to godliness? And he goes, really? Not in my Bible. And I was like, oh, Time out. <laughs> Let me get my concordance out. <laughs> I didn't hear a reference when he said that. What passage did he pull that information out of? Sure enough, I scoured through the scriptures and there is no statement in there that says cleanliness is close to godliness. Now, it may be true, but it certainly isn't a biblical mandate. And I was embarrassed because I heard someone in authority say something and I just assumed it was scripture. I didn't assume it was a principle. I assumed it was a foundational piece of my faith that I was missing and I was so excited about it. It wasn't true. It didn't hold water. <laughs> it didn't float. And I think many times we interact with one another and we hear people say things and they sound good. And they sound, they resonate with us. They sound like a truth or a principle that we want to hold on to, but we're not really sure if they hold water. So, so every week for the next couple of weeks, I'll have a tank of water out here and we'll find out some things, uh, you know, just kind of in fun and see if they float. So today we're going to open the experiment up of will it float? And we're going to try this and hopefully I don't make a big mess. And uh, I need a volunteer that wants to jump in. No, just kidding. <laughs> we're full immersion baptism. So let's see if you can fit in here. Um, here's my question. I have a plethora of beverages today. I have sodas and waters and juices and I'm going to play a little interactive game with you, all right? We're going to figure out whether or not you can put together if something floats or not. And here's how you're going to vote. It's going to be very easy so you're not embarrassed. You're just going to thumb up if you think it floats or thumb down if you don't think it floats, okay? And so I need a little bit of a drum roll. All right. I've got a bottle of raspberry green tea from, from uh, Costco. What do you guys think? Will it float or will it not float? Thumbs up if you think it floats, thumbs down if you think it sinks. Oh, we're not in unity over here. I like this. All right, you gotta keep your own score because I got a whole bunch of things here because I thought this was funny and I was into it. All right, here we go. On three, ready? One, two, three. Oh, oh, it's coming back. It floats, it floats. Where's my floaters at? Good job, congratulations, congratulations. All right, all right. I have a can of Coca-Cola it's vanilla Coke. It's never been opened. It's not tampered with. How many of you think it's going to float or sink? Give me your thumbs up or thumbs down. A lot of sinkers out there. Some of you are not believers. All right. A couple of floaters. All right. Here we go. One, two, three. Like a rock. Oh, is it coming back? Where's it going? Where is it going? Oh, look at that. Vanilla Coke floats. That's surprising, actually. I'm surprised. I did not expect that. All right. Because I couldn't buy a full thing of Pepsi, I have this baby can of just Pepsi. It's seven and a half ounces of Pepsi. Some of you have been committed and not got any points yet. So here's your chance. Thumbs up if you think it floats. Thumbs down if you think it's going to sink. 
Oh, you guys all think it's going to float now. Everyone thinks it's going to float now. Let's see what happens here. Oh, look at that. It came back. That is, yeah, it's pretty magical, huh? That is not supposed to happen, I don't think. <laughs> all right, this one's heavy because it says max. It's a Pepsi max, so it must max sink, right? What do you guys think? Is it going to float or sink? Some of you guys are like, I've been full four times already. It's going to float no matter what, right? Here we go. Let's check it out. <laughs> I have tried this before, and these aren't the same results, so I'm not sure. All right, last one. <laughs> last one, sparkling water. I'm assuming that there's something in residue in this tank. I bought it for $25 on OfferUp. <laughs> That's why it's huge. All right, sparkling water, last one. Float or sink? Everyone's going float now. Everything in here floats. I could float in this thing. Here we go. Come on. There it is. Dun, 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 dun. I am shocked that this one floats. This one should not float. Stay down there. Oh. Oh. It, is, it shouldn't. It's, no, it's from the... Oh, that's okay. It's water resistant. <laughs> Does the watch float? Amazing. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's Will It Float. <laughs> so... Last time I did this, the regular Pepsi and soda sank, and the diet floated. So I'm shocked right now. What's going on over there? Leroy built an amazing table. <laughs> and do you know why the regular ones usually sink? No, calorie. It's sugar. Sugar. There is 42 grams of sugar in that cherry vanilla Coke. Oh, it's fighting it. There's 42 grams of sugar in there. Now, I am not uh, European, nor am I a drug dealer, so I don't know how much 42 grams is, but I think it's a lot. <laughs> and so uh, I, I was trying to do the math, and someone, uh, someone told me online that's about 19 sugar packets. So if you open 19 sugar packets and dump them into a cup of water, you'll have the same amount of sugar that's in this, uh, this cherry vanilla Coke thing. And so I'm not an advocate for, I'm not saying you should drink it or not drink it. Although that one I would not drink because I don't know what's happening there. But uh, <laughs> the average soda, uh, regular sugar soda is about the same amount of sugar as three bowls of Frosted Flakes, um, one cup of chocolate ice cream, or all those sugar packets, which is amazing. <laughs> so now we know what floats and what doesn't float. Next, uh, next week, I'll come up with some other fun things, and maybe we'll do some fruits and vegetables and see if they float. <laughs> so if you have your Bibles, open them, and we're going to get to Romans chapter 8 here in just a moment. You think my water bottle's going to float? Oh, I dropped the lid. I have one that's not open. All right, let's do one more. I got a water bottle. You don't think I came prepared? That should definitely float. Oh, yeah, that thing's like spring-loaded. That would hold my weight. <laughs> Will I float? I want to find out if someone floats, babe. <laughs> so today we're walking into these things that Christians say. And one of the things that Christians say, not like cleanliness is close to godliness, is that all things work together for good. 
Have you ever used that before? Have you ever said it? You can wave at me. Yeah, that's cool. Has anyone ever said it to you? Yeah, some of times. How many of you have had someone say it to you when you were in the middle of going through something really tough? You can just wave at me. Yeah. Did it help? <laughs> a lot of diverted eye contact and a couple of head shakes there, huh? So we say this to people who are oftentimes going through difficult times, and here's one of the dangers of not knowing if what we say floats or not. We say things to people who are experiencing life, and we just kind of run by their life and drop this truth on them. And then we don't stick around to see if that thing floats or not. And sometimes, inadvertently, with good intentions, we can do devastating harm. Can you imagine being in genuine pain, having suffered actual loss, or maybe you got a diagnosis and it didn't look good and someone were to walk by and say, don't worry about it. All things work together for good and they just walk right out of your life. Don't be that guy. Don't be that gal. If you do that to me, I may, as you're walking away, kick your back foot out and watch you tumble and say, don't worry about it. Don't worry that you just fell and I just tripped you. All things work together for good. Let's test your theory. It'll make us closer. It'll bring you closer to Jesus. Yeah, some of you got defensive with me right there because you're like, yeah, don't do that. So does it really work? We quote it, but do we believe it? Psalm 139, 16, God says, that our, his eyes saw our unformed body and all of the days ordained for me were written in his book before one of them came to be. So we believe that God is in control, that God has a picture of our entire lives. And with that premise, let's talk a little bit about this incredible verse in Romans chapter eight. If God has a picture of our whole lives, then Romans chapter eight, where this verse is pulled from, might make a little bit more sense. I'm in Romans 8. I'm gonna begin at verse 28 and then I'll walk back through the whole passage a little bit. But here's the verse. It says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. Now, that's a little bit longer than, don't worry, everything works together for good, right? Don't worry, all things work together for good. There's a little bit more to it. Not only is there more to it, there's some conditions. There's some direction. Here's the danger as we get into this passage. Oftentimes we drop in to the word of God and we pull something that says what we need for that moment, but we don't necessarily look at the entire context. Here's what it's like. It's like if I got into your email and I saw a letter that you wrote to your spouse. And it said, I love you so much and I miss you. And I was like, that's awesome. And then I saw you and I said, thanks for loving me so much and missing me. You're like, hey, I didn't write that to you. I do love you, but that's not what was happening in that particular letter. You read something out of context that was intended for an audience and now you've taken and claimed that as true for yourself. That's the danger of how sometimes we approach. So as we go through the Will It Float series, a lot of the things we talk about are gonna be things that we do that to kind of instinctively. Now, 
a little while ago, we went through a series and we talked about these are not the things that you put on a bumper sticker. These are not the things you put on a t-shirt, right? No one ever says, pluck your eye out and put it on a t-shirt, right? That's not what we do. These are things that sometimes we put on t-shirts and sometimes we put on bumper stickers and they can potentially be just as dangerous out of context. So if we're gonna look at this incredible statement, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Who in the world would write such a thing? And I'm gonna tell you right now, you better have some incredible credibility if you're gonna look me in the eye when I'm in pain, when I'm going through a hard thing, when I've experienced loss, if you're gonna look me in the eye and dare to tell me, don't worry, God's gonna use this. You'd better have some credibility. It's kind of like no one wants to go to a counselor who hasn't ever been through anything, right? No one ever wants to go to a friend for support. All of us like to give out free advice, but if I know you haven't been, come on now, if I know you haven't been through something hard like what I'm going through right now, your, your advice, while it may be true, is worth about this much to me. When I'm going through a hard thing, I wanna know you've been through something before you speak into my life. I wanna know that you've lived the principles that you're trying to put into my life. So if you've never experienced some financial trouble and I'm in financial trouble and you've never had to experience that, you, your whole life you've just had that provision and blessing there and you come to me and say, well, it's easy. All you have to do is I'm gonna maybe throat punch you. Say, <laughs> like, get away from me. You're not the one I wanna talk to. But if you come to me and say, you know what, I've been there. I've walked through that and, and here's what I've seen God do. Then you might have some credibility to speak into my life. Never, come on, this is free. Never go to someone for advice that ain't been where you've been or been through something, right? That doesn't have that. Doesn't mean their advice might not be true. I'm just saying you wanna have that connectivity to them. So I wanna know there's some credibility. So who wrote this? Well, we know Paul wrote this. So Paul, and I think I've been honest about this, not always my favorite, it's like, we get it, Paul, you're awesome, okay? <laughs> Peter, I like, I can, I can relate to that dude. I'm like, yeah, I mess up like that guy all the time. So that's totally me. Paul's like, man, you're so awesome, I get it. But Paul has lived through some stuff. As a matter of fact, I'm gonna read to you some of the things that he went through. I'm gonna read it to you from, it's the message version, which is a, a paraphrase, because I like the English that it uses here. But I'm gonna read to you a little bit of some of the things that Paul went through and he expresses in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11. And he's talking about his experience following Jesus. This is his credentials to write something like this. All right, I just want you to hear this. I'm not gonna put it on the screen. I don't think I'm just gonna read it to you. It says this. <clears throat> are they, verse 23 of 2 Corinthians chapter 11, are they servants of Christ? I can go them one better. I can't believe I'm saying these things. It's crazy to talk this way, but I started, so I'm going to finish. Here's what he says. I've worked much harder. I've been jailed more often. I've been beaten up more times than I can count. I've been at death's door time after time. I've been flogged five times with the Jews 39 lashes. I've been beaten by Roman rods three times and pummeled with rocks once. Let me just stop right there for a second. So you've been through some stuff, huh? You've been thrown in jail. Listen, any one of these things 
is enough that you'd have the best story in the room. I would just hand you the microphone and say, you tell, your story just wins, right? If you'd been through any one of these things, you received lashes. I remember it was a few years back, there was a kid and he, was, he got caned. He was an American kid, but he was in another country and he did something and they hit him once with a cane and the, world, the internet just broke. Like, you can't hit him with a cane, right? I, I'm just telling you, and you shouldn't. I'm not saying that you should. I'm just saying that one time, one story. That kid is still telling that story everywhere he goes, I promise, of the one time that the thing happened, that he got punished in another country because he violated. I, I, I'm just saying He's been flogged five times with 39 lashes, beaten by Roman rods three times and pummeled with rocks. I've been shipwrecked three times. I'm just saying, if you got shipwrecked once, you have a story. You could make a two and a half hour Tom Hanks movie and I'll watch it and I'll cry when the volleyball drifts off into the ocean. Wilson, like, I'm telling you, I have a wound in my heart from the movie because it's motion. One time, if you get shipwrecked twice, I don't want to travel with you ever. I don't even know I want to be friends. I, I don't want to experience life alongside of you. If it's happened to you three times, I don't know if I believe you anymore. <laughs> it says, I've been immersed in the open sea for a night and a day. I've been in hard traveling year in and year out. I'm not making this up. I've had to ford rivers, fend off robbers, struggle with friends and struggle with foes. I've been at risk in the city and I've been at risk in the country. I've been endangered by the sun, by sea storms. I've been betrayed by those I thought were my brothers. I've known drudgery and hard labor, many a long and lonely night without sleep. I've missed meals. I've been blasted by the cold. I've been naked to the weather. Verse 28, and that's not the half of it. When you throw in the daily pressures and anxieties of all the churches, when someone gets to the end of their rope, I feel the desperation in my bones. When someone is duped into sin, an angry fire burns in my gut. Okay, you have my attention. I've been a little hard on Paul. He's been through some stuff. The thing that blows me away in there, punishment after punishment, but not even just that. When, when he gets pummeled with stones, that's not a punishment. That's an execution. That's a death sentence. They're not trying to hurt him. They're trying to kill him, and they believed that they had succeeded. That's how severe the punishment was. All of these things happened to the man who writes, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. I'm just saying he may have some perspective. And he may have a little bit of foundation to put his back against and have the audacity to write to you and me that in all things, God's working for good. That's who Paul is. Okay, so he's got credibility. Fine. You got it. You got it. So what does he actually say here? I'm gonna, uh, we're going to do story time with Pastor Mike for just a minute. I'm going to read you through this passage because I don't want you to think I'm just cherry picking it and then we'll land right in here. So if you have your Bibles open, you can back up to verse 22. But I'm going to read you through the whole phrase of the letter, this section of the letter that he's written so that we know where this text kind of jumps out from. So I'm in Romans chapter 8. I'm going to begin in verse 22. <clears throat> and Paul says this, We know the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. 
first of all, what an amazing alliterative author he is to just say, basically, the world is in pain. The way a woman is in pain before childbirth, there is just a stretching and a pain that's happening and a rending that's happening because of the fallen state of the world. It's just groaning. Verse 23, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. But hope that is seen, that's no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait patiently. What is he saying right there? He's saying everything I'm about to tell you is couched in this tension between pain and hope. Pain that we go through and hope that we believe in and hold on to. And that hope is further than what we see in the moment. Because if we saw it in the moment, it wouldn't be hope. It would just be there, right? If I have $20 in my pocket, I don't have to hope that I can buy a cheeseburger. I can buy a cheeseburger. It's when I got no dollars in my pocket and my hunger is hitting that I got to hold on to some hope. Does that make sense? He's saying you got to believe towards the future and deal with the tension of the now. Verse 26, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. When we don't know what we ought to pray for, the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to God's will. There is so much good stuff there. He's saying that Spirit that God gives us to give us strength knows that we're in need and communicates with God so that it helps us be in God's will in our pain and in our struggle and as we hope. And right after that, he drops this, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. He's talking about bringing us into the family. Verse 30, this is such good news. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. He's saying there's a path. He designed you. He had a plan. He called you. When he called you, it guaranteed that you were gonna be forgiven. And that because you've been forgiven, it guarantees, come on, that you're gonna end up in heaven and experience all of the benefit of God. It's just a very simple explanation of the entire plan of God in a sentence. It's amazing. Verse 31, what then shall we say in response to all this? I mean, what could you say? The creation is in pain. The world is steeped and broken in sin because of decisions that humans have made to rebel from God. But inwardly, we're aching towards the hope of what God has promised. And in the midst of all that, he gives us strength and he gives us courage and he gives us the promise that his plan is still happening and he's still gonna glorify us. So in the midst of all this, what in the world could we say except if God is for us, who could be against us? This is a man who got beaten and beaten and had rocks chucked at him and been shipwrecked and floated in the open sea. Matter of fact, one of the shipwrecked stories, he floats in the open sea, he gets shipwrecked, he lands, and they go to make a fire, and he's getting wood out of the fire, and a snake bites him. And they're like, they think he's cursed. They're like, you're the reason we crashed, and now snakes are biting you. And then he lives, and they think he's a god. And they're just like, we don't even know what to do with the kind of experiences that we see you having, Paul. We don't have a filter for them. Who would? 
He's the same one who says, if God's for us, who could be against us? Who could be against us? He's basically saying, if God's on our team, don't be on their team. That would stink, right? <laughs> if God's on our team, right? I don't want to talk about being in a fight and being, having the biggest guy with you, but that's what's going on. I've been there, right? Don't get in a fight with me when my friend's standing right here and you know he can handle his business. Where am I at? Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is it that he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. You have to understand that. He's saying there is no court higher than God's court, okay? Some of you have experienced the court system or you just watched the court system and you're just like, you know, hey, he's guilty. Okay, oh, there's appeal. Oh, now he's not guilty. Okay, oh, there's a second appeal. Okay, he's guilty again. And you watch this process of appeals and, and, and going through the whole thing. And Paul is simply stating there is no higher court. God has declared that he is in control and that he's got this and that he's got you. Verse 35, so who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So Paul's saying, don't worry, everything's gonna be awesome. No, he's just saying, no matter what happens, no matter what happens, who can separate from the love of Christ? As a matter of fact, we know that trouble's coming because the next thing he says is, shall trouble? <laughs> he would not say, shall trouble, if there was no trouble coming. Some of you have experienced some trouble and immediately felt like God must have abandoned you. He says, shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Um, I don't particularly like that list. I read it a lot of times and I kept thinking, seriously, this is the anticipation of those of us who are journeying with God of what we may experience that he wants us to be braced for? Um, trouble, hardship, persecution, famine. Nak I think famine I'm the most afraid of. <laughs> Nakedness or danger or sword. Seriously? It gets better, right? Verse 36, for as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long and were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Amen. You are dismissed. <laughs> Seriously, Paul. Remember, we all agreed he had credibility to write this just a minute ago, so we can't get mad at him for writing his experience, okay? Verse 37, he comes back and he says, no, in all these things. He doesn't say we'll avoid all those things, right? He says, no, in all these things. Did you catch the difference there? He doesn't say no, none of those things will experience in your life. He just says no, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Verse 38, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angel nor demon, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation, will be able to separate us from the love of Christ, of God that's in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Paul says, you're gonna go through some stuff. And the anchor of this whole conversation 
is that we're hoping in a future that isn't something that we see. But in the midst of all the things you go through, you can hold on to this truth. None of it has the power to separate you from the most important thing you've ever experienced, and that's the love of God. None of it does. That's amazing. Verse 28, let's back up again. So now we know the whole story of this thought. We've read the email completely. And here's Paul writing, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. Okay, I got you, Paul. What are you trying to say? Let's talk for a minute about the power of him saying that in all things, because we just walked through a bunch of things. We walked through things he experienced, and we walked through things that he said we couldn't expect to experience. But I want to be real with you for a minute. We don't use the word all very well. As a matter of fact, most of us, I'm going to say mostly inadvertently, are liars and exaggerators when it comes to the word all. Right? Let me give you an example. I hit all the red lights today. Right? Did you really hit all the red lights? You might have got like one green light, but your story is better if you say all the red lights. Right? That's kind of how, you know, right? I, here's one that happens in my house all the time. A kid walks into the pantry, pulls out a thing of cookies, and there's one left. Who ate all the cookies? Right? Are all the cookies gone? Well, yes. No, there's a cookie in there. Okay. Right? But I wanted four cookies. There's only one, so someone ate all the cookies. I'm just giving you lighthearted ones. I mean, we could be... Uh, we could be a little bit more, more strict, right? We could, we could say, uh, I don't know, I tell the truth all the time. <laughs> all right? Well, except for that time when it wasn't convenient because, you know, lying is just easier and awesome sometimes. All right? I mean, let's face it, lying is really helpful if you're willing to sacrifice your character and your testimony and your witness to order to get out of a momentary struggle that you're walking into. <laughs> I'm just saying. If you're willing to make that trade, don't be, make, don't be trade makers. But yeah, I tell the truth all the time. But I know the time you lied to me. I know because I had the facts and you didn't know I had the facts. And you just looked me in the eye and said, I never lie and I know you're a liar. So here's Paul, and he says, in all things, and here's the danger of this language and the barrier that we have with it, is we are good with him saying that and assuming that that means most things, right? Here's how I know that's true. Because you've been through something and thought there's no way God can use this for good. Now you saw someone else's pain and you saw them go through it and you went, yeah, for them it works, for them, it worked, right? They, they had a suffering thing. They lost a loved one. They lost, and they came through it because in all things, God, but in my circumstance, in my situation, there's no way that God could use this for good. This is the danger of this passage. If we don't agree all things, if all things doesn't mean all things, then we'll hold on to the exception and we'll make our circumstance the exception to that rule. So we gotta have a hard conversation if we're going to use this. Do you believe that God works for the good of those who love him in all things? 
Does all really mean all? Does all mean if you get thrown in prison? Does all mean if you find yourself naked? Does all mean if you find yourself hungry? Does all mean, come on now, if you find yourself powerless? Does all mean if you find yourself in loss? Does all mean if your family suffers? Is God able to use that for good? Pastor Mike, that makes sense, but you don't understand my actual circumstances doesn't work that way. Okay, then let's agree that you're not gonna use this ever because you don't believe it. So don't throw it on somebody. I'm just saying, let's agree. Because all means all or all doesn't mean all. Yeah. I don't know how that's going to sound on the podcast, but it made a lot of sense when I said it. (laughs) Either all means all or all doesn't mean all. Which is it? Is it all things? I don't know. I know God's hitting you with your situation right now, so I'll just let you feel that out. Let's talk about things that happen randomly. Don't even affect us, but we hear about them. Let's talk about living in a world where earthquakes and natural disasters happen. Let's talk about living in a world where tragedies happen and terrorism happens and violence happens. Let's talk about those kinds of things. Does all mean all? Is God working for good in that? Are you trying to get me to swallow that, Pastor Mike? Because I'm done. I turned off like a half hour ago just waiting for you to say amen. I'm still mad that the thing doesn't sink. I don't understand the physics of that at all. I was trying to figure out if Jesus ever dealt with any of that. Did Jesus ever interact with with just kind of natural disasters or things? Did anyone ever ask him about any of the kind of awful things that happened? Do you know Jesus did interact with that? He did. In Luke chapter 13, he did interact with that. There's an incredible story. I'm not going to put it on the screen, but I'll just tell you. There were some people there talking to Jesus, and they told him in chapter 13 of Luke, I'm not making it up. You can write it down and look it up later, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Do you know what that means? It means Pilate, who was the uh, person in charge of the Roman military occupation, went to a bunch of people who were worshiping, and the vernacular of mixing blood with their sacrifices, he executed them. He had them killed for worshiping God. All right, so people come to Jesus and they're like, hey, these people were worshiping God and they got killed. Did you know that? Jesus answered, do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than the other Galileans because they suffered this way? Do you think something was wrong with them because that happened? Do you think it was because of something they did? And we're gonna push on something here in a minute and some of you are gonna get mad at me. It's okay, just brace yourself. I tell you, verse three, no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower of Siloam fell on them, there was a disaster, a tower fell. Someone built a tower and it collapsed and 18 people died. It was in the news at that time because Jesus knew about it. He said, do you think they were more guilty than all the others who were living at that time in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but unless you too repent. You know what he says? He doesn't answer why that happened and whether it's fair or not. He just pointed us to our hearts being surrendered and trusting God, no matter what the circumstance. I'm like, Jesus, you really could have given me a better talking point. You could have, that was like the moment that I could really use a better talking point. But here's something, I told you we're gonna push on something. 
it had gotten into that culture and it gets into our hearts and our minds when horrible things happen that we must have done something to deserve it or when it happens to someone else, they must have done something to deserve it. And we have some type of justification in our process to kind of shelf the seemingly random things that this broken world experiences. And Jesus says, nah, it's not the thing at all. Don't you dare let your mind get there. Don't you dare think that what's happening is some, somehow something you deserved or somehow something they deserved. It is simply a reminder that our moments here on earth are fleeting and a vapor and your heart better be surrendered to Jesus. That's how he answers it. I didn't make that answer up. He's just like, you're not any better than them. So don't think somehow you got some special mercy because this situation didn't occur to you. All of our lives are just vapors. They're here and then we're gone and we spend eternity in heaven. This is the short life. So don't waste this time. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. <laughs> so how do we know God's really in control then? Come on. We're going through things and it seems like God is quiet. My favorite illustration of God being in control is the idea that God's just kind of like a GPS, right? <laughs> you, you, you know the direction and you're driving. Here's the thing about a GPS. When you're doing what the plan is, it doesn't talk to you. It doesn't like just poke you and say, Chris, you're doing a great job. Just keep on going. You got three more hours. Hang in there, champ. You got it. When you're going the direction that you're supposed to be going, it's relatively silent. It's relatively quiet. And if God's in control and the things that are happening are part of the, the providence and the, 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 the plan of God, and we're just like, God, I don't understand. He's like, don't worry about it. The plan is happening. Like, well, I don't like the plan right now. I need some affirmation. You're like yelling at the GPS, Siri, tell me I'm great. Tell me I'm doing okay, right? You're like, God, I need to know. You know when the GPS activates? Hey, half a mile, take a right. You know when God shows up and the turns and the twists and the encounters that you have in your actions? You know when else it shows up? Recalculating, <laughs> right? Here's the thing though, right? When it says recalculating, does the, does the stress level of the voice go up in the GPS? No, right? It doesn't go, ah, oh, you missed it. <laughs> now, your sidekick might do that, <laughs> right? Might hit you with an elbow and, ah, oh, throw their arms up. The GPS doesn't do that. It just says, okay, it's going to take a little longer, but we're getting on the plan. So you just take a left up here, and then you take a left there, and you take those three lefts, and you'll be back where you were. <laughs> and this time, take the right. <laughs> Right? And I love that picture of the voice of God in our lives and the plan of God. He's got a destination. We read at the beginning. We prefaced the whole thing. All the days have been written. He's got a plan. He's in control and he's working the plan. And we have freedom in that plan and we sometimes delay it and move directions that we shouldn't move. And he's like, ah, recalculating. You got this, recalculating. He's in control. He's in control. So if we're going to use this and we agree on all things and we agree that God's working, 
then we better care about who it's been written to. <laughs> who is it written to? Who in the world is this written to? Because this is important. Is it directed at us? The answer is two parts. The first is this, those who love God. This is the great commandment, right? That you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He's saying, hey, this is, if you're in this category, this truth is for you. It's for you. It exists for you. When you made that decision, you stepped out in faith. You said, God, I don't have everything figured out, but I'm gonna put my trust and my hope in you. He says, then just trust in this. My plan is happening and everything that you experience is gonna take you closer to me. It's for you. Second, those who are called according to his purposes. What does that mean? Well, let me give you an illustration. You might not like this one, but I don't care because you're going to have to deal with it. Here's what we do. You guys remember Daniel in the lion's den? It's a good one, right? Good story. Daniel won't bow and worship the king, even though everyone is supposed to bow and worship the king. There's some political implications here that are happening, but he won't do it. He says, as for me, I'm going to continue to worship God. It is illegal for him to continue to worship God, and so he suffers the consequences of standing in the plan of God, and they throw him into a den of lions. God, who is able to cause how many things? All things to work together for the good of those who are, come on now, called according to his purposes. Daniel stays in the plan of God, and so he experiences the protection of God. You understand that? Oftentimes, I'm just going to say it and let you deal with it. We run headlong into the lion's den and go, hey, God, what the heck? I made all these bad choices and I jumped into the lion's den and now I'm frustrated that this thing's gnawing on my life. And God's like, hey, would you like to get back into the plan? Because it's available. But when you run outside of the plan of God, the protection of God. We saw that with Samson. His heart becomes divided. He gives away his heart to Delilah and he leaves the plan of God and the power of God and the protection of God leaves. Here's what we also saw the moment he returned. Come on now for some of you who are experiencing this. The power of God returned and the protection of God returned and was available for him. Don't get mad at me or God when you're running away from the plan of God and you don't experience, come on now, the providence and the protection of God. But we just said that we're gonna go through hard things. Yeah, I didn't say you're not gonna go through hard things anymore. I'm just saying you wanna claim the truth that these things are working together for your good. I don't know how you measure that, but you better stay in the plan of God. Still with me? We're still friends? All right. Here's the thing, God wants to direct us and God wants to perfect us. It's two very simple truths. We experience things because God wants to direct us. He wants to point our life towards his plan and he wants to perfect us. He wants to work on the things in us that take us outside of his plan. He's willing to do that. Peter says it this way, 1 Peter 4, 12. 
He says, friends, when life gets really difficult, don't jump to the conclusion that God isn't on the job. Instead, be glad that you're in the very thick of what Christ experienced. This is a spiritual refining process with glory just around the corner. How amazing is that? Peter says, be glad when you're in the thick of it because this is a spiritually refining process. And glory is just around the corner. Some of us, you heard that truth. And all right, I, I believe all things, sure. I'll accept that. Here's what you need to hear. Your glory is just around the corner. Hope is the anchor for our soul. And you may not even experience it on this side of heaven, but what we have been promised is worth it. And the hope that we hold on to is incredible and is amazing. So here's the big takeaway. Here's where this whole thing lands. If you stay in the plan of God, you can trust the power of God to execute the providence of God. If you stay in the plan of God, you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then you can trust in the power of God to execute the providence of God. What's providence? That God has the beginning. Here's the thing that's crazy. Do you know God is outside of time? He already knows how this story is gonna end. Sometimes that, when we don't remember that, it can seem like God's a little unfeeling in the moment, right? Some of the worst things that you're going through and you're just like, God, why? Because you only see the now. God can see the five years from now you who because of what you went through is now praising God. Some of you praise God today for some of the hardest things you've ever been through. And God knows that you at the same time as he knows the you that's going through the difficult thing. And so you're like, God, how could you be so callous? How could you let this happen? He's like, you don't understand right now, my child, but I know what this is doing in your heart. I know what this is doing in your soul. I know what this is building in your life. And I know, come on now, we saw this. Some of us are like, well, God, you know, he's never late, but he's always at the last. And you're like, no, that's not how God works. He's outside of time. Think about Lazarus, right? Lazarus is sick. He finds out Lazarus is sick and, he's, and he delays. And he doesn't show up. And then he shows up and, and finds out Lazarus is dead. And Thomas is like, oh, we just should all die too, right? Everybody's depressed. And out come the sisters and they're crying. And they're sad. There's been crisis. There's been death. And there's been loss. And they're saying, if only you had been here. If only you'd been here. And Jesus, he's there. He's in the now. He weeps with them. But he still at that moment knows that in about 30 minutes, come on now, Mr. Stinketh is going to be taken off the robes and walked through. He knows the future. He's in the future simultaneously. He understands that the person in front who's weeping in this moment will one day be praising God for this experience. And some of those times that we're going to be praising God, we won't even know them on this side of heaven. The scripture says now we only see like a poor reflection, but someday we'll see in full. We may not ever know on this side of heaven why we went through what we went through. It may be that side of heaven that we understand for the first time. God, I never knew that you were pulling this over to here so you could slide this under there so you could rescue the one that you love. And I just thought you were being cruel or unthoughtful or letting me suffer. I just didn't understand. But on this side of heaven, oh, glory. Thank you, God. You see, we may never see it. 
And Paul's saying, you're going to experience some stuff and you may have to go through it on this side of heaven. But praise be to God, because none of it can separate you. Nothing. That's why Paul says, I boast about my weaknesses. I glory in them because when I depend on God, I'm stronger. The power and the source of the power isn't me. And I don't have the perspective to even fully get why God would allow that. Why would he allow sickness? Listen, I prayed for too many of the wrong people being sick. All right, not that there's the right people, but come on. You know when you're praying for the wrong people, when you got a child who's battling cancer and you're praying and you're just like, this is the wrong. How can I understand that? I can't understand it except for I know all means all. I know that nothing's outside of the providence of God, outside of his purposes. I know he can move no matter what. I know he can use things that don't make any sense. I mean, he can cause things to move outside of their nature to accomplish his plan. So why would I be afraid in the moment? He can cause a whale to swallow a human and spit them out. That's who my God is. He can speak through a donkey. Only one donkey in history besides animated has ever spoken. He can use a betrayal. He used Joseph being betrayed. He used Moses. He used a murder. He used David. He used adultery. He used Rahab. He used a life steeped in sexual sin. All things. All things. If you stay in the plan of God, you can trust the power of God to execute the providence or the will of God. So what's your thing? What's your thing right now? See, see I, 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 I kind of I pulled the rug on you a little bit today because I thought we thought we were gonna be just talking about, we can't use this on people. Well, here's the thing. Do you believe it? Because if you believe it, you can use it. If you believe it, you can walk in it. If you believe it, then you can speak life into somebody. If you believe it, come on, if it's in you, if you've experienced it, if it's your testimony, if it's your story, then you can walk into someone's pain and you can embrace them and you can say, in all things, God's able to work. You just stay in the plan of God. You trust in the power of God and you understand that the will of God is greater than your circumstance. So what's your thing? What's the all thing you're struggling with this morning? What's the all thing that is just battling in your heart? What's the thing he's using in your life that you, you're just like, God, I'm not sure if you're gonna use this for good. God's saying, you gotta believe. Would you stand with me? I'm gonna pray with you, but I just believe God's gonna do some very specific things in the room this morning. There are some of you in here, come on now, and you have been quoting this for others and you have not believed it was for yourself. And when you've said all things, you've meant, well, most things. And you've experienced some things that you thought there's no way God could use this for good. I'm telling you that's not who God is. He has hope for you. He wants to restore your hope this morning. And your hope is wavered because you haven't been able to get your mind around a God who can see the future, who can see into eternity, who can say, God, you don't understand. I mean, tragedy, a tower falls and, and innocent people die. And 
how in the world? And God's only response to you is you keep your heart tethered to the hope that's in me. You keep it in that spot. And then you have the authority to use a phrase like all things work together for good because you've experienced the truth of it in your life.